that was just me singing about how great Florida is because weather makes the internet drop. <laughs> we'll blame Florida. I mean, it looks like a giant dick anyway, so it's probably going to act like one. Hello everyone, it has been a two-month hiatus over here at the Monster Island Resort as we have worked on renovating the vacation grounds here on the island. And actually, I've been working on renovating myself as well. Allow me to get a little personal with you monster lovers for a while. Back in May, I found out I was pre-diabetic. It was a bit of an eye-opening experience, but not a total surprise considering my family history and, frankly, my diabetes-prone ethnicity. Surprise or not, at the age of 35, I have finally decided to initiate a bit of a lifestyle change. Now, if you have listened to me over the last three years, or know me personally, you know that I don't have a lot of spare time. With all the film nights that I host with my friends here in San Diego, including Shot by Shot, the film geeks at the Digital Gym Cinema, Schlockfest at the Public Library, there's my film festival Horrible Imaginings, my day job as an educational technology trainer for San Diego Unified School District, and of course this show. I've never really thought about taking the time to take care of myself physically. And really, it's never been something that has interested me much in the past, and uh, for a number of reasons that is changing for the better. Anyway, I changed my diet and started a regular exercise routine And two weeks ago, I boosted that routine with a high-intensity boot camp four days a week. In the three months since finding out about the pre-diabetes, I have successfully lost 40 pounds, and I'm on my way to reversing my diagnosis. And why am I talking about all of this? Well... In those months, which included, of course, the life-consuming San Diego Comic-Con, the Monster Island Resort podcast went on a bit of a hiatus. It was the longest break between episodes that I've ever taken, and sometimes I can be prone to beating myself up about that, so um, anyway, that's one of the things I'm working on changing. But I hope you will keep listening, as I do indeed plan on keeping the Monster Island Resort alive. I've made too many friends, I've learned too many amazing things doing this show to stop. You are all invited to join me at the resort as I continue to examine and discuss horror in history, art, literature, film, and beyond. And now, on to today's episode. I was pulled back into the world of podcasting after doing my regular podcast catch-up. Among podcasts like Mike and Ike, Zombie vs. Shark, The Projection Booth, The B-Movie Cast, and, well, many others, I regularly listen to a fantastic show called The Greatest Movie Ever Podcast, hosted by one Paul Chapman, sometimes known as the Almighty Gooberzilla. That podcast recently reviewed one of my favorite movies of all times, Phantasm. And before the show, however, they talked about a crowdsourcing project that is really close to completion. It is a horror comics anthology book called Skin Crawling Comics, and it features a number of independent writers and artists putting together a variety of horror vignettes. Now, I love comics, and I haven't had much of a chance to discuss them on the show. Since I'm interested in how horror translates into a four-color world, I decided to get the creator of that project on Monster Island Resort to talk horror, comics, and the skin-crawling comics project in question that still has two weeks left to raise funds. 
By the way, it has been big news lately that people like Zach Braff and Spike Lee are doing the crowdsourcing thing on Kickstarter, and it leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths when creators who have other options and money and people in the know decide instead to ask for money from the general public. For those of you who don't know, sites like Indiegogo or Kickstarter are sites designed for independent creators to appeal to people to donate money in order to fund a variety of projects, whether it's art or maybe an invention or something like that. It is really designed for people who don't have another recourse, like Skin Crawling Comics, a really independent project, a really creative and exciting project. And that horror comics anthology is a prime example of what crowdsourcing should be used for. Sorry about that tangent, but it needed to be said. If you go to the show notes for this episode on monsterislandresort.org, you will get a link to the Indiegogo site for Skin Crawling Comics, as well as a download for a sample comic from the book. You can get the book as a perk for donating, so really it's just like buying the book anyway. So please consider donating, and if you're strapped for cash, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, and all that good stuff. Let's get this book on shelves. And now, without any further ado, I'm going to let the creator of Skin Crawling Comics introduce herself. Hi, I'm Rachel Pandich, and I am an indie and freelance comic book author. I have an indie publication called Aspire that is out. I was also involved with the Womanthology Heroic book, and I have a couple other submissions floating out there in the ether I'm still waiting on responses from, and I am a frequent guest on the Greatest Movie Ever podcast as well. I'm currently heading and managing um, the Skin Crawling Comics Indiegogo, and I was the editor on it. So that's a lot of what we're going to talk about, and I have heard you on the Greatest Movie Ever podcast, which is where I've heard of your current project as well as some other things. So that's why I decided to come back out of the woodwork. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I recorded a podcast, so thanks for giving me the inspiration to make another episode. Oh, it's exciting that I can actually inspire people. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Awesome. The Womanthology book, by the way, isn't that an IDW book? IDW did pick it up. And all the proceeds went to charity for the first book, Heroic. And then for the second book, Space, they did as a miniseries before collecting it. And the writers and artists actually did get paid for that one. IDW is based out of my hometown here of San Diego. Oh, excellent. Yeah, good stuff. Why don't you talk about some of your past comics work, just so we can get to know you a little better and your work a little bit better? Sure. My first venture into comics was with Aspire, which was originally published underneath the Movement Comics moniker, which is based here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm at. Uh, Movement is actually an indie music magazine, and they decided to try comics. And, you know, it was it was an experiment. It was a learning experience. They were, they were pretty rad guys, but they are probably going to stick with music stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Aspire is about a 12-year-old girl named Destiny, and her father was killed when she was six. And so six years later, neither the cops nor the superheroes in her town have found his killer, so she's saying, forget you guys, I'm going to find it myself. And, of course, mischief and mayhem ensues. It's an eight-issue miniseries, and I do have all available for sale. I am sold out of number one at the moment. I sold out while at uh, Tampa Bay Comic-Con over the weekend. But hopefully we should be getting reprints in for the fall. Hopefully. So you're based out of of Florida? Yes. I am in Orange Park, Florida, which is just five minutes south of Jacksonville, so it's a lot easier to say Jacksonville because people know where that's at. Yeah. (laughs) It's like saying that I'm not from Lemon Grove. I'm from San Diego. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Why did you uh, start a comic? What drew you to the medium to begin with? 
Well, I've been writing since a very young age. Um, I, I thought it was middle school, but when I went to my mom's house a couple weeks ago to help her clean out a room, I found stories that I had written in kindergarten. So, and I drew pictures with it, apparently, about a bird falling in love with a snake and they lived in the gas station that they met at. So, <laughs> apparently I've been into this medium since kindergarten. <laughs> well, that makes sense. So your middle school writings didn't include imagery with it? No, of course, in middle school, I went through, I think I went through the thing every female goes through is that, you know, that goth phase where you want to write vampires and stupid stuff like that. <laughs> Some people never leave that phase. Well, if you can do it right, good on them. It's just, unfortunately, there's a whole lot of not right. <laughs> yeah, there is. Particularly lately, there seems to be a whole lot of it. But if people like it, I'm not I'm not going to complain about it. Cause... Well, you never know what's going to bring somebody into the medium. Like, as I mentioned on the Heroes and Villains podcast I was on last month, we did a Morbius podcast, and Morbius accidentally brought me into Interview with the Vampire, which brought me back into monster movies, which I loved as a kid. And then I left them because, oh, you know, I'm a teenage girl, I can't like that stuff. And then it brought me back to it. So it's all circular. It just really depends. And just because we find Twilight is crappy, some teen girl reading it might go, huh, I wonder if there's different vampires that are better out there. And then she goes and finds something really fantastic. Exactly. I try to avoid the fanboy hatred. It turns me off a little bit. But you did bring up something right. I did want to hear about, which is your own personal relationship with, well, you, you talked about monsters, but with the horror genre in general. Well, when did you start watching and reading horror stories and stuff like that? That's kind of a hard question. Like, if you ask me about horror stuff, sci-fi, kung fu, anything like that, it's just that stuff was always on the TV in the background in my house when I was a kid. Because my dad was kind of a nerd, like, when it came to monster movie stuff. So if it was sci-fi or monster movie related, which goes with the horror genre, or kung fu, it was just always on the TV on the weekends. So I can't really pinpoint it down. I definitely have a preference for monsters, though. Like, monsters and giant critters and things like that. Yeah, I think we're it's kind a... of similar in that way. Oh, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Prefer I prefer the classic uh, monster movies and... From universal to 50s sci-fi type stuff. That's really my my love. It is funny how the the monster movies and the kung fu and other kind of subgenre stuff go together so well. Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, there's a lot of with kung fu with like exploitation films. There's a lot of crossover too. So I mean, I got a lot of that as well. I've heard other people, and uh, this includes comics creators talk about the comics medium as being a difficult medium for the horror genre because there aren't the same kinds of, uh, I guess, opportunities for surprise. Comic books essentially can let the reader see what comes next. We're almost like uh, fortune tellers because you can almost peripherally see the next panel in a way. You're working on a big horror story right now, uh, or a horror anthology right now, which we'll talk about in a minute. From a writing point of view, how do you adapt fear for a paneled page? Do you think it's more difficult in comics than like movies or literature? More difficult than literature, it really depends, because I mean, it's no different than someone skipping ahead a couple pages to see what happens at the end of the chapter. 
but I guess it's slightly more so because if you don't lay the paneling down right, somebody just, you know, reaching over for their glass of water to drink while they're reading the book, they're going to see what happens next and go, oh, okay. Right, and I think um, that's part of it is you can, it's peripherally, you, it's more visual, so you can right. catch, whereas skipping ahead and reading, you have to concentrate a little more. Right, it, it really depends. I'm venturing into screenwriting because I was uh, talked into writing a film on spec. So I'm learning the differences, but there's definitely pace is a huge thing. And I think it's more so for horror because if you don't get the beats right, it's going to fall flat. Horror and comedy, if you don't get the beats right, it's going to fall flat and people are just going to walk away going, that was horrendous and I don't ever want to read anything by that person again. And it's funny that you bring up horror and comedy because in a lot of ways they're very similar in that exact way where you have to get the beats right. And I think that's why a good horror comedy tends to appeal to so many people because they do meld and they have a lot of similarities. When you're writing, because I assume you write a script for an artist to draw off of? Yes. Do you place those beats in the written process or is that more of the artist's responsibility? With film... You basically are just writing things down. The director will decide and will build, basically, is what I'm finding. But with comics, it's the opposite. The writer has the world built. They have to do everything and tell the artist what to do. Unless it's a really seasoned artist or unless you're doing something house-style for Marvel or DC. But for an indie comic, particularly an indie horror comic, you have to place everything. So me personally, what I do is that I just will word vomit everything on the page what I want and then I'll try to lay it out thinking okay this should probably have this many panels in it so I'll try to fit what I need in those amount of space and then I will go back and I will edit for placement and working on this anthology we had a bunch of different levels of writers so acting as the head editor and then Gerald Rathgold from Anime World Order podcast he was my second in command basically yeah it was you you could tell who was used to working with artists and who was not used to working with artists because they can only fit one action per panel so that's very difficult that's a whole nother issue to deal with as well so you you definitely have to write with the beats in mind but then you have to go back and edit yourself for pacing for panel placement and then you have to go and edit yourself for all the other basic editing stuff do you find that you at the beginning maybe write too many words because i find comics are such a visual medium that they're more effective when there's more to look at and as a writer do you think you would find yourself having to pull back a little bit when i first started most definitely if you read if anyone out there picks up the first three three or four issues of aspire you'll see it's very wordy very wordy, more so than it needs to be. And then you learn, because like you should only have one action per panel, you should only have about, if you can help it, no more than 25 or 30 words per bubble. And you have to make sure that the voice box or the voice bubble, wherever, whatever you have in the caption or whatever, it can fit in with the art. So sometimes you have to tell the artist, hey, this is a really wordy panel, please make sure you have enough room which I learned the hard way. <laughs> but my artist, Ashley Lanny, uh, she learned the hard way too because we were kind of diving into comics for the first time together, really, when we made Spire. And if you look from issue one to issue eight, both my writing and her art has excelled just worlds. And then when um, we released the 
preview story for Skin Crawling, that was my story that I worked with again with Ashley, and it is eons away from where we started with the spire. Is that the story Horde that you had as a preview? Yes. People can check that out on fanboycomics.com. I'll have a link to that, by the way. So why don't you tell me about that story? Well, I get on this kick with like certain reality TV shows and hoarding, buried alive, and hoarders. I like I don't know. It just I just looked at those people and I just go, "What is wrong with you?" And you know, it's a mental issue, and it scares me. The whole idea of hoarding and not being able to control yourself, having this obsessive need to collect these things and but not keep it organized like a collector. Because I, I have I have specialty shelving units for my comics and for my games. Because I'm a gamer and I and board gamer and stuff like that. And I collect comics, obviously. And my husband collects anime and manga, so we have specialty shelvings. I understand the collecting aspect, but hoarding it to a compulsion level where you can't control yourself and you don't know why. And that just terrifies me. And that's what I like to write when I write horror. I like to write things that terrify me and just hope that it terrifies other people. And I've had several people who have read that preview said that, you know, it was horrific in the mundane. And they really appreciated that, they said. What I think is is really funny is, is you just started talking about some of the things that I wanted to ask you. I think what makes anything horror in the genre more effective is when a writer or a creator just takes something that scares them, whether it was a nightmare or something that just unsettles them, and tries to communicate it in whatever medium they choose. It's funny, too, wherever you get it from, maybe it's reality TV or something you saw on the street or or what have you. And I was wondering, actually, when I read that preview comic, if you had gotten it from one of those reality shows. It's from the reality TV, but, like, there's certain family members that have had hoarding tendencies... And if it wasn't for their spouses or their kids, they probably would be one of those people on the TV show. So it's like I've seen some of that firsthand and how scary. And then just watching the TV show kind of brought home like, wow, that's what it could have been. If there hadn't been someone else there to stem the flow, you say? Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's weird. But, yeah, like you said, you just will you'll take stuff that you find horrifying and put it out there, whether it's prose or comics or, or film. Uh, I have a whole notebook full of stuff that gives me ideas. And it's usually either horrendous stuff or sad stuff. I try to write uplifting stuff, but it always ends up pretty tragic. I just, which is weird because when people meet me in person, they say I'm so perky and happy and all this stuff. I mean, you've heard me on the GME podcast. I usually sound like a squirrel. I sound sad <laughs> right now because I'm fighting the concred from Tampa Bay Comic Con. But usually, yeah, I'm, I sound like a chipmunk or something. And then they read what I write and they're like, this is so sad and depressing. Well, you know, maybe that's why you're so perky. Because I'm able to expel it. (laughs) Yeah, you're able to get it out of your system. You're not bottling it up. (laughs) The benefit of being into into this particular macabre kind of genre is it gives us an outlet for those things that, you know, we might not otherwise have an outlet for. And the people who right. write the worst stuff I have met through this show and through my film, because fe- I do a horror film festival, they're always the kindest, nicest, and perkiest people I've met. And they're the ones who <laughs> whose art is the most chilling. Oh, yeah. Like Steve Niles, he's one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet in comics, but he writes some of the most disturbing things ever. He did 30 Days a Night. He uh, he does the Cal McDonald series, which I was honestly, that's my favorite of his stuff. Everybody's 
loves to talk about the 30 Days Night because that's what they made a movie out of, but Cal McDonald is so much better. Have you read that? I have, actually, yes. Okay, good. So you are on the same page. Yeah, yeah, it is really good stuff. Yeah, he uh, he tweeted about skin-crawling comics, and I hadn't asked him to tweet because I wasn't at that point where I was going to ask writers, like people in the industry yet, to retweet it because I didn't want to be bugging them. He found it randomly and, and tweeted about it. I was like, oh, that was really rad of you. Thank you. <laughs> wow, that is awesome. As long as we're kind of on that, let's talk about Skin Crawling Comics. It's, it's your latest project. It's a horror comics anthology. What is it about horror or scary stories that you think makes them ripe for that anthology format? It seems like that's a very popular format for horror stories. Right, because you don't need to have a whole series of horror. You can but i mean sometimes just a one and done will work fine because when you serialize it it gets too much into the realm of either fantasy or sci-fi or you know the teenage love interest thing i mean look at buffy i mean that's that's a tv show all about monsters and vampires trying to kill some blonde girl but it goes more into teen drama twilight same thing horror just seems to work better because you have the big bad so to say and you have the protagonist, and sometimes in horror, the protagonist doesn't win, and it just works out to have it as a short story. And it's good to have a variety. Horror is one of those genres that has a million subgenres: Ghost stories, monsters, vampires, werewolves, sea creatures, slashers, psychological, horror in the mundane, the fantastical. So, I mean, there's there's all kinds, there's so many subgenres to horror, sometimes it just works better. Well, you know, actually what you're talking about kind of leads into something else I had noticed. I was looking at your Indiegogo page, and one of the things that it talks about is you're trying to avoid gore as a replacement for plot. Right. And so my question, though, is... Do you see plot as essential to a horror story to begin with? I really do. Okay. I think plot is important for the story as a whole. It doesn't matter if it's horror or not. Because if you just have blood for blood's sakes, it's just splatter porn. I mean, what's the point? You get desensitized to it for a while. You're not actually scaring somebody. You're just making them want to vomit. And then after a while, because of the getting desensitized, you're not making them even want to vomit anymore. They're just like, yep, that is a bloody eyeball. So yeah, I just got really sick of it. Being, I got sick of the overuse of gore as plot fodder. And apparently very a lot of people agree with me. And when I tell people about the anthology, I tell them think less hostile and more creep show and tales from the crypt and you know old school creeping eerie magazines which by the way creepy is back and there it's doing really great sales so clearly there there are people who want that kind of horror storytelling that really is the height of of horror in comics is when you go back to creepy and eerie or some of those older ec comics is where because of various things that happened in the 50s we lost those for a long time until they started to come back a little bit in the 80s but i think we're seeing a huge resurgence in in the interest of horror comics like within the last couple of years regarding your current project how did you choose your writers and artists? Like, who are they? What kinds of stories are they going to do? Well, the book originally started as something that just Ashley and I were going to do. We were going to do an anthology of short stories, just us. 
And then I thought, you know, in order to get published, you have to be published. Wouldn't it be great if we could do like a collective type thing, make this a portfolio piece for indie writers and artists and letterers and stuff around Jacksonville? Because there's a lot of people who are in the indie scene or webcomic scene in Jacksonville. And I got about 10 people together and I mentioned it to my friend Gerald, who does the Anime World Order podcast. And he said, well, if you need any help, let me know. And I said, well, actually, I'll probably need an editor you know, to co-edit with me to catch things I don't catch. And it's always good to have a second or third pair of eyes. And he lives in Orlando. I was like, well, maybe I could open this up as a Florida thing. So then I uh, talked to Paul Chapman, and I got contacted by a couple people that were, because I wanted Paul to be on it too, and then word got out about, you know, certain people were trying this anthology comic. And I got contacted by some people in, in California, and um, I went up to New York Comic Con last year, and I was, you know, testing the waters, the ideas for the comic with some other artists, and they were like, oh, I would really love to be on that. So we have uh, artists and writers from all over, and it got to the point where I had to stop taking submissions. And I, I had to, like, tell the writers who were originally all from Jacksonville, hey, remember I said you could do up to 20 pages? You have to cut that down up to 10, which <laughs> I think actually worked better. Because some of the greener writers, they needed that editing down. And in fact, my original story, Horror, that was a 32-page comic, and I cut it down to 19 plus the title page. And I think it works a lot better that way. You know, I wish some of these filmmakers would take that and run with it as well. (laughs) I see a lot of short films that are 25, 30 minutes that really would be much better if there were eight minutes. (laughs) <laughs> I think, again, especially with horror, you need it to be punchier and have more Cut of a Cut to the point, no yeah. pun intended. Yes. So you had a lot of submissions, and have you gotten it down to exactly who's going to be in it? Oh, yeah, the book is complete. We're just waiting on the colorist to be done on two stories and uh, five of the stories to be lettered. Yeah, 14 of the 19 stories are done. They are in the can. We are just waiting for financial backing from the Indiegogo. Well, I was going to say, I mean, why should someone give five bucks or whatever to this project? Well, if you look on Indiegogo, which everyone listening, go to Indiegogo.com and click click on comics and, uh, you know, just search in Skin Crawling Comics and Miguel will have it in the link notes, I'm sure. You'll see that we need 18 grand. Now, why do we need 18 grand? Well, I have broken down in the body of the Indiegogo, but I'll go ahead and tell you guys here. 6000 needs to go to printing, and then we need two to 3000 for shipping of the books and any of the specialty perks, because we do have some artists' perks available. So shipping goes up and down. After talking to the various people who've had successful Indiegogos and Kickstarters, ah. shipping goes up and down, so we had to build that cushion. Then after that, here in Florida... If you make ten grand or more, which at that point we're at ten grand just for shipping costs and producing the books and anything extra, like if the artists need extra materials, like here in Jacksonville, I would be able to take money from the PayPal account from the Indiegogo and go to the store with them and buy the materials from that if I absolutely have to. But most of the artists are doing it out of their own pocket, anyways. Yeah, so we're already at ten grand. So here in Florida, if you make ten grand or more on one of these, it's considered a secondary income. So then you have to pay taxes. And since this is in my name, I would have to pay taxes. So I factored in fifteen hundred for taxes come April. And then Indiegogo takes four percent, which is actually another fifteen hundred. 
And then I factored in a very modest page rate for everybody because this is a portfolio builder, so everyone signed a contract. And to make it, you know, just legit, everyone is getting paid. It's about 80% less than they're, they should be all getting paid, but it's something. And I am not getting paid at all. I am not taking any money out of this. I'm not even paying myself a page rate. And I factored in a page rate for everybody else. Well, that's one thing that I think is really nice because I feel like that's something that is left out of the equation in a lot of really independent things is paying the artists. Right. That's something that like was complained about on Womanthology because, yeah, I went to charity. But then like people were saying, well, why aren't these ladies getting paid? Well, we volunteer our time. But, you know, there was a lot of time and effort that went into those stories. And those were just four-page stories for the book. And these are the, the, the longest story is 20 pages. The shortest story is only only one page. But the longest one is 20. And it takes a lot of time. Because you have the writers that have to world build. Then you have, you know, the editors that have to edit it. And then you give it to the artists to pencil. And then after penciling is inks. And then colors. And then lettering. And then... Each step of the way it has to go back to Gerald and myself for editing to make sure everything syncs up and everything still flows properly. Because sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes things don't translate properly from words to actual panels. And, yeah, like I said, I'm not getting paid. And Gerald has offered, volunteered not to get paid either for editing or anything. So we are making sure the artists and the writers and the letterer are getting paid for this. But we factor that into the Indiegogo. So actually, eighteen thousand is on the low end of the estimate, and right now we are at about fifty one hundred, and we have a, by the time this recording post, we'll have about two weeks left. So every little bit helps. For ten bucks, you can get a digital copy of the book. For twenty, you can get a physical copy of the book. And then we have various fun stuff. Indiegogo only allows like twenty perks up at a time. So as we sell out of a perk, we'll take it down and put a new one up. So, of course, we have art commission perks. For 100 bucks. you get physical copy of the book, a digital copy of the book, and you can get Zombified, whereas one of our artists, Aaron Hazori, you send him a picture and he will draw you a portrait style as a zombie. We have some podcast perks. Paul from Greatest Movie Ever has one up there. Jeremy Kaufman from Destroy All Podcasts has one up there. Anime World Order, we're on our third round. We just keep upping the price because people keep <laughs> buying it out, but this is the absolute last one. Because that perk is at $300, so you get a copy of Skin Crawling Comics, both physical and digital, and you get to tell them what to review on their podcast. So if there's something terrible you want to subject the Anime World Order crew to, now's the time, even if it's hentai. And I've even said that whatever gets picked for this level, I will subject myself to watching it too. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, with the Skin Crawling. So when you support this, you are literally supporting indie creators like people who've only been published once or twice and webcomic people that just need that extra little push to get put into the fiscal realm and we do have a small press publisher looking at us that's another reason why the the goal is so high because we have to prove that there's a demand for it yeah and you're getting really good stories too well that's what i was hoping you were gonna say (laughs) yeah what is the quality of the work oh well I, just reading through a lot of these stories, I got super jealous. <laughs> just the, being able to come up with these ideas. I think one of my favorite stories is FVK, Fearless Vampire Kissers, where the premise is it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, but instead of alcohol you're addicted to is vampire kisses. And, of course, things go horrendously wrong. It is like and, a Twilight spin almost. 
Yeah, and uh, it's very much not Twilight, trust me. Um, and then we have a couple zombie stories and I told them, I was like, zombies are overused. So you really have to grab me for these stories. And I am, I'm telling you these two stories take a dark turn that I was very shocked at without having to overuse the gore or anything like that. Uh, we have a couple slasher stories in here too, which again, I had to talk to the artist. I said, remember no excessive use of gore unless it moves the story forward. You know, I mean, I, I didn't say no excessive use of go over period. I just said it has to move the story forward. And one of the stories, the Jack, uh, the artist Star St. Germain, she looked at medical textbooks. And I'm telling you, it's very minimalist. But that was one of the most disturbing stories I have ever read. <laughs> ever. What's that one called? The Jack. The Jack. All right. Yes. And uh, it is the, the writer is Jeremy Kaufman from Destroy All Podcasts. And the artist, Star St. Germain, who was also on Womanthology, her art for it is just so detailed and accurate with the victim, gets victimized. I've, it's really hard not to talk about these things without giving <laughs> it away. Alert, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she is spot on with the medical accuracy, which is more disturbing than anything I've ever seen in any of the like gore porn type movies like Saw or anything like that. I'm going to link to the site and to your video to hopefully help you reach that goal so you can pay the artists and get this thing out there. I really appreciate it. And I would just like for all your listeners to uh, know that this is all or nothing. Indiegogo does have the option for fixed funding campaign. And that's what we have. So so this is more like a Kickstarter. Right. It, it is set up and it's the same model as Kickstarter. But we have fixed funding because it's such a high goal. I don't get the funds in the PayPal account for Skin Crawling Comics until we reach our goal. So it's being held. I none of, Nobody has access to any of the donations so far. We will get it two weeks after we meet our funding. If we meet our funding. So keeping those fingers crossed. Yeah, if it doesn't reach 18000 it's nothing. Yeah, if it doesn't reach 18000 everybody's money gets automatically returned to them. It, you automatically get a refund. Through Indiegogo, they will send it back to you. I don't touch it at all. And then we all go crying a corner. But <laughs> on the flip side, everybody who uh, got a specialty perk, whether it is art or a podcasting perk, that goes away. So if you donated already and you're listening to this and you grabbed one of the AWO perks from earlier or an art perk from Chris Thorne or anybody on here or even just the digital ones or the fan fiction commission for 15 bucks, you're SOL. Because if we don't meet our goal, we don't produce the perks. So spread the word if you've already donated. And if you haven't donated, please go donate because it's a really rad concept. And like I said, if we don't make our goal, you get refunded your money automatically. To kind of wrap things up, why don't you tell me about some of your favorite monster or horror properties? And they could be from literature or movies or comics or whatever. Well, like I said earlier, I really like monster movies and giant critter flicks. So things like Arachnophobia, I love. (laughs) Um, Night of the Lops, I haven't been able to see that since I was a kid. If I can find it, I might have to rewatch it. Critters, I actually really enjoy Critters. People don't appreciate that movie as much as they should. Definitely. See, Alligator. Have you seen Alligator? Alligator is one of my favorites, actually. Uh, We recently did a triple feature of Alligator, Grizzly, and Piranha up in L.A. about a month ago. Oh, I've never seen Grizzly, but Piranha is another one of my favorites. I watch that movie about once a year. Yeah, Piranha and Alligator, if people haven't seen those movies, they need to 
go on Amazon, buy them for the three dollars that they're available <laughs> for, and get them, and watch yeah. them. Alligator is uh, well, well worth that. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, Alligator. It was one of those movies where it's you think, oh yeah, it's corny, it's corny. You know, this giant mutant gator. Oh no. But it has some really horrific scenes in there done very well. Like, there's a scene where a little boy murders his brother on accident via the alligator. Yes. <laughs> so, and that's just something you didn't do in the 80s. You didn't just randomly kill children. They were off limits. Yeah, so, that was very rare. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is the first. I remember that being, I think, the first time I saw a little kid get killed. Was that before Jaws? You know what? I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, there you go, listeners. So, <laughs> there you go, trivia. <laughs> Which came first? John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13 or Jaws? Hey, listeners, those movies include child death when there wasn't really a lot of child death in horror. <laughs> um, and we need to know that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and just any of the classic Japanese monster films, like anything in the Godzilla series would be good. Yeah. Well, you know, and, Monster uh, Island Resort, you know, that's my favorite. You're just struck a chord there. Ah, uh, see, I like Mothra, anything with Mothra, and in fact, at Tampa Bay, that was the only fun purchase I got for myself. I got a Mothra action figure. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. Like I said, it's one of those things where, like, that kind of stuff was on the TV all the time when I was growing up. But it's like, yeah, I like that one. I'm terrible with names. I do that with actors all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, the dude is in that movie I like. <laughs> with the <laughs> so, hair and the eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, Assault on Precinct 13. I'm bad. I looked it up. 1976. You're right. Oh, Jaws you're came was one year before. You win. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Hello. And then, of course, there's always the classic horror movies like John Car- Carpenter's The Thing, Alien, things like that. I'm glad you got to talk about your comics a little bit. I'm I'm happy to actually have an episode again. I want to thank you for coming on and talking to me about skin-crawling comics. And I'll put the word out there to uh, get some more donations on the page. Yeah, very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I was just talking to Rachel Pandich, who is, I guess, editor? Editor, manager, and contributing writer to Skin Crawling. Everything and everything on Skin Crawling Comics. And then go check out some of her other projects as well. RachelPandich.com. I make it very easy to find me. Just Google Rachel Pandich, R-A-C-H-E-L-P-A-N-D-I-C-H. That's how you'll find me on Twitter, on Google+, on Facebook, on Tumblr, whatever. Your brand is your name. Yeah, pretty much. I I actually did a Google search because I was trying to decide if I should change from my uh, pre-married name to my current name. And my pre-married name, there's 20 people just in my county with my name. (laughs) So, whereas Rachel Pandish, there's only two of us in the whole U.S. So, yeah. Look for Rachel Pandish, look for her art, and definitely... Definitely go and check out the Skin Crawling comics. I'm going to have a link to both the Indiegogo as well as the Fanboy comics page that has a download of a preview story. Yep, I wrote it and Ashley Lanning did the art. And by the way, one of the perks, if you really like the art for that, one of the perks available is an original page from that story. And when you get the book through the Indiegogo, we're doing the minimum number of printing so there's only going to be limited quantities available outside of the Indiegogo, and everyone who donates to the Indiegogo is going to get their book first. They'll probably be getting their book after the first of the year, where the book won't be available for the rest of the public until the spring. Will it be signed and numbered? Uh, we are planning on numbering the Indiegogo <laughs> ones, and um, because I will be mailing them all out myself, I will oh, right. sign them if people want. 
Well, that all sounds really good. I really am excited about seeing this. I'm actually going to go ahead and donate right now. Yay! I want the book. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to let you go and hang out with your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to my return episode. Remember to donate to Skin Crawling Comics and share it with your friends. It's good to be back in the podverse. And remember to follow me on Twitter. It's at Monster Resort, as well as on Facebook. And until next time, stay scared. Hope you like outtakes, Miguel. Do, do, do.